So meditation is not what you think. You've probably heard that before. Yes. If you hadn't heard it before, you might smile at it. Or you might say, huh. And the reason, perhaps, that you would uh, respond in that way is that the idea expressed in those words gives a momentary insight into meditation. And especially because it is ambiguous, it's an ambiguous statement, like a little pun or a joke. Meditation is not what you think. In other words, um, your opinion about meditation may not be right. And it also means when you meditate, you are not thinking. So, <clears throat> there's nothing like analyzing a joke to take the fun out of it. But the point is <laughs> that uh, it is easier to connect, easier to transmit uh, something when it has, when it's well put, or it's funny, or it captures for a moment your imagination or your uh, enjoyment of language. If you were to say meditation is the laying aside of thoughts, which we can also say and often do, uh, it sounds a little more dull, not less true, but a little more prosaic. Meditation is not what you think, captures the imagination a little bit more. Depends whether you're listening or not, of course. But, um, so I'd like, to, I'd like to speak this morning about the relationship between silence and truth and how we can, if we can, how we can communicate it. And this is not really just an abstract philosophical sort of game. I mean, I think... It depends on it. it, depends how we live, how we feel about ourselves, how, whether we feel fake or whether we feel superficial. Or it also, I think, explains something about our present political and social crisis and says something about the dangers that we are creating for ourselves in such a noisy world, in a post-truth world. So what we say about meditation makes a difference to the way we may come to understand it, or whether we even begin to meditate. If we were to say, meditation is something you've got to do, then we immediately begin to uh, pull back. I don't like being told what to do. So we set up all sorts of instinctive resistances to it. Or if you, uh, you should meditate twice a day, and if you don't, it's your fault. You know, that also sets up a whole lot of guilt associations. Now, all of these may be true up to a point, but the way we put them makes a big difference to the way they're communicated. And that's 
that uh, is expressed, of course, in the changing language of our culture and why tradition has to be both preserved and adapted and passed on and re-translated. Uh, we have to find new words for it. Everything, all the words of Jesus are virtually our translation. The Gospels are translations from, an, uh, we think, we're not even sure, probably was an original oral tradition. So that says something uh, uh, about how we, in, how we experience, interpret, and transmit the truth. It would be easier if we could say, Jesus said exactly this, and you've got to put this into practice, and this is what he meant, because these are the words he used. But if that were the case, we would be worshipping the words. And we would still have a conflict because people would have different interpretations of, of it. But each side will be claiming to be uh, true to the original text. But we don't even have the original text, which throws the ball into our court of interpretation. And it shows that Christian scriptures are not, cannot be read in this fundamentalist, literalist way. It would be, we might think it's easier if they could be. Fundamentalism is an easy option, seems to be an easy option, but of course we can't do that because we have to discern and interpret. So ideas matter and words matter, and they can help either to illuminate the truth or to obscure it. And we do this all the time in the nuances of the words we choose or the words we don't choose or the tone of voice in which we say something and different cultures will speak the same language in a different tone of voice. Americans, Irish, English will speak, have a different tone when they're speaking try to communicate sincerity or genuineness, they will use a different tone, different cadence, and so on. Different parts of, of Britain uh, do the same. The most truthful sounding dialect in English is from, is, is the north of England. At least that's what generally seems to be the case. That's why um, what do they call these phone uh, helplines, you know, and helplines are the, usually in the north of England because the people who speak to you have a n nice tone of voice that you trust. So you don't get angry with them as you do with a London voice, which is harsher and more, more aggressive. So anyway, so uh, we, we, everything we communicate has to be interpreted, and it can be more or less truthful. And sometimes we give the wrong impression very unconsciously and un unwillingly. We just find that our words have been misinterpreted. So, as soon as we become conscious of an idea, 
something we want to say, it has already begun to be embodied in language. We wouldn't be conscious of it if it were not already about to find words to express itself. But even before that, it, so we're informed today by the neurologists, it probably began its existence uh, not as a, 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 a thought, or, but as a sensation. Something that became embodied, a feeling or a sensation that we could trace back to some uh, non-verbal uh, communication within ourselves. So, it's not as simple as it seems to tell the truth, even to ourselves. Even when we want to tell the truth, we can uh, mess it up and cause damage because we're misunderstood. I mean, emails are a good example of that. Emails should only be used for sending documents or, you know, uh, f f phone numbers, because as soon as you try to have a proper communication about an, an idea or opinion or disagreement, uh, emails tend, I find anyway, to make things worse. So we always have to check our thoughts and ideas, and we have to ask ourselves, is this what I really want to say? Is this what I really feel to be the truth? Am I, am I, and am I expressing the truth as well as I can? How right or true are these thoughts? They've passed through several stages of development already before becoming conscious, before becoming an idea. So they could have absorbed a lot of impurities as they flowed from the hidden spring of truth. <coughs> so when we speak about meditation, we speak about silence, we are already, you know, on very shaky ground. It's very difficult to speak about silence. But it's a very interesting topic for us to think about. Because it is an interesting topic and because it does seem to take us closer to the, the meaning of truth, it's very easy to replace the work of meditation, the work of silence, with ideas. It's easier to read books about it, nice books, beautiful books, favorite books, than actually to do it. Easier to go to listen to talks about it than to to do it. Easier to listen to you know YouTube videos on meditation than to actually you know for a couple of hours rather than to do it for twenty minutes. Most of the time, even when we are meditating or we think we're meditating, we are actually thinking about our problems or our daydreams, or at best, much of the time, 
with thinking about meditation. I'm meditating. How am I meditating? What is meditation? And am I getting closer to what meditation is about? Ah, no, I'm distracted. I'm thinking about lunch. <laughs> Actually, I'm thinking about meditation and lunch. So, meditation is too simple for words. And this is expressed in a very memorable saying from the desert tradition. The monk who knows that he is praying is not truly praying. The monk who does not know that he is praying is truly praying. And that is pretty much like saying meditation is not what you think. And of course, whereas meditation is not what you think, is a little easier to swallow because it's, has, it's ambiguous and it's witty. Uh, the saying of the desert teacher, if you know that you're praying, you're not praying, and it's only if you don't know that you're praying that you are praying, that's a little more serious and a little more challenging. And very challenging for us because it it communicates to us, as far as words can, something of the absoluteness of silence. That silence means silence. Brexit doesn't mean Brexit, as the British politicians claim. And they said to Mrs. May, what, does, what, is, what do you mean by Brexit? She says, Brexit means Brexit, which is a typical evasion of the truth. But the Desert Fathers are not evasive about the truth. They try, as far as possible, to use words because they've got nothing to gain and they don't care whether you vote for them or not uh, or whether you go and sit at their feet or not. So the desert, the desert teachers are trying, as far as possible, to use words to communicate pure truth. So how do we interpret this? Like everything, it has to be interpreted. The one who is not, sorry, the one who does not know that he or she is praying is truly praying. We can't imagine, we can't really analyze what that would be like. We can only discover what it's like, and we can discover it. But because we think we, it cannot be described, and it cannot be described, therefore we think, oh, it must be very difficult. I can't do it. It's like you, wanted, you want to go to, um, you always wanted to go to Tuscany, and you've heard, you've read a lot about Tuscany, and you've dreamed, dreamed a lot about it, and met a lot of people who went there, uh, but you never went there yourself. And for one reason or another, you never got there. So the more you think about it, the more you dream about it, the more you talk about it with people, 
the more it will seem impossible that you, can, you could ever go, go there. So then people say, then people do go there, and they say, wow, this is Tuscany. So what? <laughs> no. They say, wow, this is Tuscany. Now I'm here. So it's the same with meditation. The more we talk about it, think about it, the more in its, in its pure, simple, absolutely simple sense, as is described in that saying, the more impossible it seems that we'll ever get there. I couldn't do it. I don't know what it means. I can't imagine it. Therefore, it's not for me. Silence is not just about developing quiet thoughts. Silence is about leaving thoughts behind. Desert teachers used to say, again, very memorably, prayer, by prayer they always meant this prayer of the heart, this experience of contemplation, Prayer is the laying aside of thoughts. Thoughts. All thoughts. It's not replacing bad thoughts with good thoughts. Or bad thoughts with pious thoughts. It's laying aside thoughts. And this is virtually impossible to describe even though it can be fun to try to describe it. In the uh, great work, in the, you find it in the Philokalia, in the volume, volume one, by Diadocus of Photike, um, there's a work of his called um, On Spiritual Knowledge. And these are short little chapters, short little paragraphs, uh, very carefully worked and p crafted and perfected. Um, it's not this, which uh, address this question of what is, what is spiritual knowledge. And in uh, section eight, <coughs> He speaks about this paradox of speaking about silence. He says, the unilluminated should not embark on spiritual speculation, nor, on the other hand, should anyone try to speak while the light of the Holy Spirit is shining richly upon them. So I think what he's saying here is that um, it's, it's, it's kind of a way of saying he who knows does not speak, he who speaks does not know. But it's a little more subtle than that. But he's saying if you are not in that state of illumination, which he recognizes can come and go, but if you're not in that state of illumination, then you shouldn't speak about it. On the other hand, when you are in it, you shouldn't try to speak about it because you can't speak about it. And why bother to speak about it when you are in that state anyway? So he's, he's pretty truthful. 
Um, and then he goes on, wherever, where there is emptiness, and he's speaking about emptiness here as sort of uh, in, in, the, in the more negative sense, uh, in other words, where you, you, you are, say, distracted or all over the place and you're not in this illuminated state, where there is emptiness, ignorance is also to be found. So if you're not there, if you're not silent, if you're not mindful, if you're not in this illuminated space, then you will be ignorant. But where there is richness of spirit, you could also call it poverty of spirit, where there is a, a state of illumination, when you are focused, when you are present, when you are silent, no speech is possible. At such, at such times, the soul is drunk with the love of God. And with the voice, silent, delights in his glory. So, he, what do we do then? We, we can't speak about it. We, we, we want to speak about it. We should speak about it. But we can't speak about it. Uh, either when we're not in that state or when we are in that state. So he's talking about, really, when can you tell the truth? And this is his answer. He said, we should therefore watch for the middle point between these two extremes. So this point between being totally distracted and ignorant and being intoxicated with the love of God and bathing in the experience and you don't need to speak and don't want to speak anyway. So the middle point between these two extremes before we begin to speak of God. This balance, he says, confers a certain harmony on our words glorifying God. As we speak and teach, our faith is nourished by the richness of the illumination. And so, because of our love, we are the first to taste the fruits of knowledge. For it is written, the farmer who does the work should be the first to eat of the produce. Now it's interesting, I think, how he turns this around at the end, because he's not speaking, he's not saying, you have to speak about this experience for the benefit of others. But he's saying, actually, if you can find this middle point where you can speak the truth, and it's speaking the truth in love, this is spiritual knowledge, then you will benefit from this. You, the speaker, will benefit from this. So those of you who are leading meditation groups, think about that. And anyone who does lead a meditation group will say that this is a great enrichment to them. That they gain so much from it. That they don't think of themselves as doing these poor ignorant people who haven't learned to meditate yet a favor. But in, in being able to share it with them, they themselves are deepening, they are uh, nourished by the richness of this sharing. He also says there is a distinction 
between wisdom and spiritual knowledge. It says, many who are illuminated by spiritual knowledge never speak about it. So the world is full of very enlightened beings who don't go around giving talks about meditation or giving talks on anything. And I'm sure you've, hopefully you have met some. Many, most perhaps, who are illuminated in this way will never speak about it. It seldom happens that self-knowledge which arises, sorry, uh, spiritual knowledge, which arises from deep stillness, combines with outward expression. So he said it's very seldom that you get this, this balance, this, this point of, of balance. So this is very sobering when it comes to thinking about the truth. To tell, to speak about, to, to to speak of the truth, we have to be in the truth. But if we're in the truth, uh, then we, we can't speak about it. Because to look for words and ways of communicating it immediately begins to compromise or complicate the simplicity that you're in. And that's you know, that's, the, that's, our, that's our challenge. And it's also the tragedy, you know, of, of, of any society of, and of, often of, of all relationships. So it's very sobering what they're saying, but also very illuminating. And it illuminates something of this connection between silence and truth. St. Benedict says the monk should, should be allowed to speak very rarely, even about spiritual things. Because, as it says in the book of Proverbs, in a multitude of words you cannot avoid sin. Sin, remember, means missing the mark. It's not breaking a rule. It's not communicating, not hitting the mark, not getting it right. In, in many words, we will inevitably say something off. And I think, you know, the longer you talk, the more you realize that you're uh, drifting from the target, which is why we will now go for a walk. Okay. <laughs>